So do you like oysters? Now, I'm not talking about the fried ones that come with hush puppies. I'm talking about the really fresh ones on the half shell. <laughs> now, some of you just grimaced at me. I got it, all right? But you should know some of us are thinking we're going to ditch the sermon and go for an early lunch right now because those oysters sound so good. Oysters, interesting food. Some love, some do not. There are some great oyster spots in New Orleans, and there are some unique oyster spots in New Orleans because some of the places are a little different than your normal restaurant. They are stand-up oyster restaurants. In other words, there are no tables and chairs. Instead of someone bringing you out a, a nice platter of oysters on a tray to eat at your table, you actually kind of stand up at a bar and there are these nice folks that are standing there and they're cracking those things open right in front of you and letting you eat them fresh right there. I know some of you are still grimacing, that's all right. Ian McNulty is a journalist in New Orleans, and he says this about this stand-up restaurant experience. The ephemeral essence of oyster is intact, and when shucker and eater are in sync, the only fresher oysters are on a boat. Good line. He goes on to describe the atmosphere of what happens in this scene. The setting encourages an easy banter among erstwhile strangers who find themselves eating oysters together, standing there elbow to elbow. You know, we could use more places like this in the world. You, know, you may not like the oysters, but the reality is life is tough and life is hard. And every now and then, it'd be nice to have a little more easy banter in our lives, right? Just something that's a little less stressful than hearing that the government's going to shut down, you know, or, or hearing that there's something else wrong with our health. Sometimes it's just nice to have a little bit of easy banter. McNulty goes on to list some of his favorite stand-up places in New Orleans, and then he says this. Together, these places are maintaining a tradition, and they're proving that for oyster lovers, sometimes the best seats in the house aren't seats at all. Maybe you're having that kind of week where you are feeling overwhelmed with stress, with apathy, with worry, with fear, with anger, with frustration, with depression, with discouragement. Maybe that's the week you've had. Maybe you're feeling like that's the week that's coming. And if you're experiencing that right now, maybe you need a night in the best seat in the house. Whether you're having to sit down or stand up in the best seat, you're, you're wishing you could have just a, just a few moments where there might be a little bit of encouragement, a little bit of help, a little bit of, of hope, just, just a little bit of, of something. Well, there is a seat just like that. But the real best seat in the house may not sound like or feel like what you think a best seat really is. So what does that mean? Well, let's see if we can find out. Listen to Luke chapter 14, beginning with verse 7. And he began speaking a parable to the invited guest when he noticed how they had been picking out the places of honor at the table. So Jesus has been invited by one of the church leaders to lunch after church. He's come over to the house and, and they're having a meal. There's, there's other people that have been invited over for the lunch. And they've been at the table for a little while and, and there's some chit-chat that's gone on. And, and now Jesus is setting down a parable in the middle of the lunch conversation. Now what is a parable? 
Well, a parable is not a fable, all right? This isn't a, a cute tale that has a moral at the end of the story. Now, a parable is something completely different. The, the word parable means to set beside. So a parable is when you take a, a real-life truth and you set it beside a real-life situation so that real-life people can see what it means to do life for real. So parable, it's a, it's a real-life truth set down next to a real-life situation so that real-life people can know what it means to do life for real. So Jesus is giving a parable, and why does he set a parable down in the middle of this lunch? Well, it's because he watched how the other lunch guests came to sit at the table. He, he watched them fighting over the best seats at the table. He, he noticed they looked like a, a bunch of goofy-headed middle school boys chasing after the cute new girl sitting in the cafeteria. Boy, they just couldn't wait to get in that seat. They, they just had to get there. And so Jesus is going to tell a parable around that moment and, and what he saw to try to help them see what it means to do life for real. It's not a cute tale with a life principle at the end. No, this parable that Jesus is telling, it's designed to grab a hold of your heart and your mind and your soul. So what kind of parable does Jesus give? Well, this is what he says, verse 8. Jesus says, when you're invited by someone to a wedding feast, do not take the place of honor. So Jesus is setting a, a real-life truth next to a wedding situation because everybody, generally speaking, they know what a, what a wedding situation in real life would be. And so what he's kind of saying is this. Look, when you go to a wedding and you're invited as a guest to a wedding, don't go to the reception and go sit at the head table in the seat that's marked for the best man or the maid of honor. That's not your seat. Don't, don't go do that. And so these other folks at the lunch, they're at this point, they're probably scratching their head. They're, they're completely confused, right? I don't know what Jesus is talking about. What, what does he mean? No, they're not confused. This is easy banter to them, all right? They, they understand. They've, they've been to a wedding. Yeah, of course not. When you go to a wedding and, and you're not the best man or you're not the maid of honor, don't go sit in the chairs that have been marked for them. It was easy banter. It was easy for them to understand. But, but Jesus is not giving easy banter. This is a parable, a, a real-life truth, and he's setting down a real-life truth that for these folks at lunch, it's going to be a hard pill for them to swallow. So why should you not jostle to sit at the places of honor? Jesus goes on, verse 8. For someone more distinguished than you may have been invited by him. <laughs> so you think you've got the prime seat at the wedding, but what you don't know is Fred the Dorf Dorfman was also invited to this wedding, and he is much better friends with the family than you are. And so Fred and you are at this wedding together. And Jesus said, there might be a problem, so what's going to happen with you? He goes on, verse 9, And he who invited you both will come and say to you, Give your place to this man, and then in disgrace you proceed to occupy the last place. <laughs> You're busted, right? You sat in the wrong seat. Fred, the Dorf Dorfman, he, he is much more honored than you, so you got to give up your seat to Fred, and you got to go sit at the folding TV tray dinner table back by the kitchen door where all the kids are sitting, right? I mean, you're sent back to the back. 
Maybe you've never been to a big fancy wedding reception or maybe a Pharisee's never invited you over for lunch after church. I got another scene that maybe you've seen this before and that's a sporting event. You may have seen a seat poacher before, right? What's a seat poacher? Seat poacher is that guy that wants one of the best seats at the game, but they don't actually pay for the best seat at the game, right? My son and I went to a college basketball game a little over a year ago, and we saw some seat poaching in action. It was hilarious. So, so before the game started, there's two guys, and they're sitting on the row right behind the home team's bench. I mean, right there on the court. And sure enough, somebody comes up, the real ticket holders, and they kick them out of their seats. So what do those guys do? They go one seat, one row behind, and they sit in that row. And sure enough, just a couple of minutes later, the real ticket holders come and kick them out of there. So they moved over to the middle section and went on the front row over there. A couple of minutes later, somebody comes, kicks them out. They go to the second. This went on and on and on for a while. And I, I played Where's Waldo and Weirdo with them for a little while, but then I just got tired. I couldn't keep up with where they were, and so I just kind of quit playing the game. But they moved and moved and moved and moved and moved. You know, the funny thing about seat poachers is usually they don't have any shame. You know, there's not this moment where they get embarrassed and quit trying to find a better seat. They're going to stay at it, you know, until they find somewhere where they won't get kicked out. You know, a seat poacher or, or someone at a wedding reception or, or maybe someone at this luncheon, they, they may not think much of this parable that Jesus is giving. In fact, a seat poacher would probably ignore it altogether. But Jesus is pretty clear in saying, you know what, you don't need to arrogantly look for the best seats. Don't push your way into the seat of honor. That's what he says you shouldn't do. He says you should do something, though. And what should you do? Listen to what he says in verse 10. But when you are invited, go and recline at the last place so that when the one who has invited you comes, he may say to you, friend, move up higher. Since I was a kid, I have always loved sitting on the last row of a sporting event. I don't know why. It's just my thing. I'm a cheap seats guy. And why am I a cheap seats guy? Well, nowadays I'm a cheap seats guy because I like the price, but I've always loved the freedom Love the freedom. When I was a kid on, on uh, college days and, and Saturday for football, I would love being on the very last row in the stadium because you had the place to yourself. You could stand up and lean on the rail and move around. It was so much better than being, you know, squunched up in the bleachers next to me. But I loved being on the last row. When I go to a college basketball game, I go online and buy my tickets ahead so I can choose my seats. And I choose the seats on the very last row in the corner at the top of the stairs. And you know why? Because you can stretch your legs out on the steps. It's fantastic. You have all this leg room. It's great. But you know, it's not just price and it's not just freedom that makes the last row good. You know, there's also nobody behind you. And you know what that means? That means nobody is dropping their popcorn and their nachos and their drinks all over you in the middle of the game. And also nobody's spitting on you while they're screaming and shouting colorful words at the officials. You know, it's just, it's really nice. You kind of have the place to yourself. Besides that, I mean, you know, most big sporting events now, I mean, they've got jumbotrons the, the size of the roof at Costco, you know. So, I mean, you, you have, even if you're not close to the court or close to the field, you can see every detail if you just watch the screen. But this picture that Jesus gives, it's kind of more than just the the back row and and the nice price and nice freedom and people not spilling their food on you. There's, There's a different picture. See, what Jesus is saying is when you get to the wedding banquet, when you get to the wedding feast, go sit first 
at the folding TV dinner tray table back by the kitchen. Go there first. Now, we might all want to kind of mentally play the humble card in our minds, but if we're really honest with ourselves, that's not our first vibe. You know, our first vibe at a, at a nice event is not to go to the most uncomfortable place, to go to the most uncomfortable seat and the most uncomfortable table, the, the place with the most uncomfortable elbow room, the place that's the loudest and, and most annoying, the, the place that's full of people that we may not have anything in common with. That's not our first vibe. That's not usually where we go first. We may not be fighting for a first-class seat, but we also usually don't stand in the back of the plane and fight with Fred Dorfman over the seat across from the bathroom, right? I mean, we're not prone to go after the last seat and, and go after the worst place, so to speak. It's interesting if you look at these two different seating options, all right? With the first one, you get busted as a seat poacher because you're in the wrong place. But with the second one, you're, you're invited up to first class. This is what Jesus says about that. Verse 10. Then, if you're in the last place, then you will have honor in the sight of all who are at the table with you. My son and I were at a college basketball game again a couple weeks ago, and, and there was some kind of promotional thing, a contest before the game. And basically what happens is, is, is two people are randomly picked from their seats and they get to move from wherever they were actually sitting to some of the best seats at the game. And so the winners that day were a man and his young son. And they had them down on the court and, and they were up on the big screen and, and they introduced them. I think they were from Easley and, and I think, I think the, the kid was maybe like eight or nine years old maybe. And, and I mean, everybody clapped and cheered. And, hey, great job. And then they got to go sit in, in some of these great seats. I mean, can you imagine? That, that had to be a blast for that kid, you know. Goes to the game with his dad for the day and they get down on the court. They probably got a free t-shirt or something. And then they also get great seats for the game. They were moved up into the seats of honor and they were honored in front of thousands of people that day. And that's the, the picture of this parable. That's what Jesus is trying to get across, right? Jesus is trying to say that the best way to get the best seats is to start out in the cheap seats. Jesus is telling this parable as, as kind of a salvation for seat poachers, right? He's trying to tell us how we can win friends and influence people and, and be successful and all that can happen if we start on the back row. That's the purpose of this parable, right? No, not at all. Now remember, a parable is when you take a real-life truth and you set it down in a real-life situation so that real-life people can see what it means to do life for real. And so what is this for real truth that Jesus gives? Ooh, sorry, I think I just, oh good. What is this for real truth that Jesus gives? Listen to verse 11. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled and he who humbles himself will be exalted. So here's the real life truth. Here's the purpose of the parable. See, these folks at lunch, they were kind of already squirming in their seats. See, they knew when Jesus started talking about the wedding reception, they knew it was kind of exposing what they had acted like at the beginning of the lunch. And so they were squirming a little bit, but they, they probably weren't squirming with embarrassment. They were probably squirming the way they usually thought about Jesus, with anger, with jealousy, with payback. 
See, they didn't like being called out for their conduct. They didn't like being called out for their sin. And they definitely didn't like being called out and told, well, this is the way that would be most pleasing to God. No, we're never like that, right? We love to be called out for everything, right? No, we don't. So we can kind of feel this moment for them. Being called out is not what we like to do. But Jesus is not telling a parable about the most Christian way to get to first class. That's not what this is about. Now, this parable is about humility. And what is humility? Well, humility is an attitude where you bring yourself low and, and you keep yourself low. What does that mean? How, how do you bring yourself low and, and how do you keep yourself low? The Apostle Paul said this to the church at Rome, Romans 12, verse 3. For through the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you, not to think more highly of himself than he ought to think. To bring yourself low means to have a right view of yourself. It means don't think too highly of yourself and don't think too lowly of yourself. Humility does not mean that you have to sit over in the corner all crouched up thinking you don't even deserve a glass of water or a crust of bread. C.S. Lewis kind of famously has said this about humility. True humility is not thinking less of yourself. It is thinking of yourself less. John MacArthur says this. It is that attitude of selfless giving of oneself and one's possessions, power, and privileges that should characterize all who belong to Christ. Why should we do this? Why should we think less of ourselves? Why should we think of our possessions, what we have, what we own, what we're able to do? Why should we think of those things with a more selfless attitude? MacArthur goes on. They should be willing to loosen their grip on the blessings they have, which they have solely because of him. Listen, you can try to put together a scientific debate or a health debate or uh, a philosophical debate, whatever kind of debate you want to put into, but, but your heart and your mind and your soul, the deepest places of your heart and your mind and your soul, those places know that there is a God. And those places know that you don't exist without that God. You have no parents without God. You have no birth without God. You have no life without God. You have no intelligence without God. You have no education without God. You have no strength without God. You have no ability without God. You have no job without God. You have no money without God. You have nothing without God. Do the math any way you want. That's where the equation ends. Without God, you have nothing. This is what Paul said to the church at Corinth. He said, what do you have that you did not receive? I mean, really, just... Just dial it back. Whatever it is that you have, what is it that you have that you did not receive? Paul says it's all been a gift of God. Humility is is that attitude of the heart that when you wake up in the morning and really all day long you think, I am completely and totally dependent on God. I am completely dependent on the God of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob. So let me ask you a question. Is is that your attitude in the morning? When you're brushing your teeth, is your heart and your mind and your soul, are are those convinced that you are dependent on God utterly and completely? 
If not, maybe I'll put it this way. If you have never thought that, if you've never thought about your utter dependence on God, then it, it seems impossible that you're a Christian. If you've never thought about your utter dependence on God, if there's never been an attitude in your life that says, I need God desperately today just to exist. And if you rarely think that, at the very least, you should evaluate where you are with God. Because here's the thing, if, if there's not an attitude of utter dependence on God, that means by default, you think highly of yourself. That, that, that's the picture. It's the only picture that we can have. So you think, well, what I have, I, I have by my own bootstraps. What I have, I, I have by the own sweat of my brow. I've made money the old-fashioned way. I earned it. So you're not just proud of yourself. You are just proud. So what? What's the big deal? What's the big deal with being proud? This is what Peter said. Clothe yourselves with humility toward one another, for God is opposed to the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Maybe it's me. I don't want the God of the universe opposed to me. <laughs> that doesn't sound like a good place to be. So God's opposed to the proud. And why? Why does God have such a, a bad attitude against the proud? Why is God so opposed to people who are full of pride and who are, who are arrogant and, and pushy? Why, why is he against them? Well, he's opposed to them because the proud think more highly of themselves than anyone else. And the proud trust in themselves more than they trust in anything or anyone else. And those things are the opposite of the gospel. See, the gospel calls us to be completely and totally dependent on the one true God of the universe. And that's why so many people reject the gospel. Because they cannot stomach committing their life to someone who demands that they be helpless and dependent on him. One day Jesus was talking, was teaching to a crowd and this is what he said, Matthew 18, verse 3. Truly I say to you, unless you are converted and become like children, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. What does he mean? Well, what he's saying is a child has a trusting heart. We as adults, we don't always have trusting hearts, but, but a child has a trusting heart. A child hears good news and, and they respond. I've shared with you before that, you know, a child doesn't respond to things the same way that we do, especially when it comes to good news. You, know, you tell a small child, hey, buddy, I made you a banana split. They're probably not going to say, oh, thanks. Did you use organic bananas? Because I'm a little partial to those. And, you know, okay, just go ahead and give me all the ingredients before I take a bite. You tell a small child, hey, we got you a pony. They're not going to say, oh, thanks. Do you have the paperwork? I just want to make sure this is going to be a good breed. I mean, I want to know kind of where, you know, this pony's coming from. Now, see, a child, they, they hear good news, and they don't argue. They don't grumble. They don't demand that they understand every detail. They hear good news, and they rejoice. 
And they embrace that good news with humility. I'm convinced that Jesus is not being mean to these people at this lunch. He's not calling them out in some mean, angry way. He's, he's showing them mercy by giving them this parable. He's showing them that, that there is something in their heart that's not right. He's trying to help them see that their lack of humility, just, just the fact that they fight over the best seats, it, it shows there's a lack of humility, and that, that shows there's a problem. See, they were only into promoting themselves. Rich Cather says this, if you make it your life's aim to promote yourself, you will eventually find yourself in trouble. It may not be in this lifetime, but one day when you stand before Almighty God, you will realize your mistake. See, these folks, they were thinking, how can I get the best seat? And Jesus is telling them a parable to try to get them to start thinking in a different direction where they're thinking more like this. How did I get invited? How is it that I'm, I'm here? And Jesus is not some rock star evangelist, some rock star preacher that, that has this great parable on humility, but then he lives in a huge mansion up on the hill and has a, a garage full of trophy cars and motorcycles. Now, Jesus definitely practiced what he preached. Philippians chapter 2, verses 5 through 7. Paul writes, Have this attitude in yourselves, which was also in Christ Jesus, who, although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but rather he emptied himself. He humbled himself. What does it mean that he emptied himself? What, it doesn't mean that he emptied himself of being God. That would mean that he's less God, and it's not possible for Jesus to be less God. So, so what does it mean? Well, it means that in, in coming from heaven to earth, what Jesus did was he emptied himself of anything that would hinder him from glorifying God the Father. And maybe if we want to be a little selfish about this, he emptied himself of anything that would hinder him from rescuing me and rescuing you. That's what he emptied himself of. And the call to follow after Jesus means if you're going to be a Christian, we're to have that same exact attitude. As Christians, we're supposed to live our lives in such a way that we empty ourselves of the things that would not draw attention to God. Or maybe put another way, we would empty ourselves of anything that would hinder us from glorifying and bringing attention and bringing fame to God. So, little heart question for you today. What do you need to empty yourself of? What is it in your life right now that you prize more than God? What TV show, what, what, what genre of movies, what genre of books or novels, what, what technology, what sporting event, what sporting team, what, what hobby are you prizing more than the glory and the majesty of God? What selfish, stubborn attitude towards your husband or towards your wife or towards your kids are you glorifying more than you're glorifying God? What desire for promotion or recognition at school or work is hindering you from bringing attention and fame and glory to God? 
Jesus emptied himself of anything that would prevent him from glorifying God, that would hinder him from rescuing you. If you've been rescued by Jesus, then I would encourage you to to think deeply of this truth. Because here's the thing. If you have been rescued by Jesus, then that means your seats have automatically changed. If you have not been rescued by Jesus, if you've never repented and turned your heart to him and surrendered to him, then Jesus says you will be brought low one day and you will stay low and not in a good way. I love what Spurgeon said about what it means to be in the last seat. Thus the believer is bidden to come up higher. It's not just that you go from last place to the seat of honor. It's it's higher than that. It's not just that you would receive some honor at a basketball game or some honor at a banquet. It's not just that your name would be etched in concrete on a building. The honors of this world have some value, but the call of the gospel says that Jesus comes to you and says, come up higher. I bid you to come up higher. If you've been rescued by Jesus, then live in the exhilaration, the excitement, the joy of that really simple question. Let it just stir in your mind over and over again. How did I get invited? How did I even make it here? And let it stir and let it stay. And then right beside it, let the words of the master keep coming over and over again as he says to us, come up higher. Come up higher. 